Welcome to the Union Jews Podcast. The UK's only all things union show. Carefully curated for your digital downloadable listening pleasure. Hello and welcome to Union Jews, the UK's only all things union podcast. I'm Simon Sapper and in this special episode we talk to newly elected TUC President Maria Axel. In announcing Maria's election, TUC General Secretary Francis O'Grady said, As a proud lesbian, she is our first LGBT plus president and I know she will do everything in her power to champion equality at work and in society. Maria's optimism, enthusiasm and sheer human decency have won her respect and affection at the TUC and beyond. Those qualities will be essential at a time when working people face the longest, harshest squeeze on living standards in modern history and unions are fighting for a fair deal. Maria is an officer at the Greater London branch of the Communication Workers Union, the CWU, the union she joined in 1988 when she started with BT as a telecoms engineer. Before this, she was a care worker for people with learning disabilities and then in mental health and a member of what is now Unison. She is also vice chair of TULO, the liaison organisation between the Labour Party and the Labour-affiliated trade unions, and chair of the TUC's Lesbian, Gay, Bi and Trans Committee, elected to represent LGBTQ plus trade unionists on the TUC's General Council and Executive Committee. Maria Axel, you're very welcome to this Union Jews podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Simon. You've just been elected as the president of the TUC, but... What is the role of the president of the TUC? Well, the formal role is to ensure you chair and have good order for the General Council, the Executive and, of course, the Congress. It's a great honour and a responsibility to be elected. It's uh, a post just for one year. And, yes, I think it's going to be an interesting year with the challenging times ahead for both the union movement and in general. Well, I mean, it certainly is a phenomenal achievement to be the first representative of the LGBTQ plus community sitting in in one of the seats that's dedicated for those communities to be elected as as president. Uh, It's a real breakthrough moment, I think, which we'll come to in a moment. But in terms of the constraints of the role, accepting those, what, what are your priorities? What are your hopes for the year ahead? Yes, as you say, the constraints of the role. I mean, you're there as TUC president to be a be a sort of figurehead for the whole of the movement and therefore it's got to be about things that matter to the whole of the union movement. I suppose I see my main aim, I've got lots of lots of other things that will probably come out in this podcast. Main aim would be to get over the get over to people that unions are there for every single worker in Britain, basically. Whatever sector you work in, whether you work in new sectors of the economy that aren't already unionized. Uh, whether you're working in the public sector, the third sector, the private sector, whether you're in a professional job or whether you're not, that every workplace needs a, needs, needs a union and every worker needs a un- to be a union member. That's, that will be my overall aim of trying to get over. 
I would imagine that you're going to have no shortage of platforms to, <laughs> to, to you, you, you use for that. I, my, my recollection is that TUC presidents tend to be invited to most union conferences, and therefore there's ample opportunity to engage people in that discussion about organising and servicing to make sure there is a higher, wider coverage of union membership. Yes, I think there will be that opportunity. And France is as General Secretary now, and Paul as the General Secretary-designate have always concentrated on the importance of having effective organisation in the union movement. So it's, although it's always been a priority, I think um, in this era where we've had the pandemic and people have seen the importance of of uh, key workers and also at a time when unions are probably more popular than they've been for a generation it's an obvious point to make that there is no 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 area of work of work where it isn't relevant to have unions involved i mentioned earlier that that you are the first lgbtq plus president of the tuc yes. I mean, is first out first LGBTQ. out that's true i think it's very important to make that distinction yes. for sure but that's um, something I'm very proud of and well, proud, to be, right. uh, proud to be an out lesbian in the role as well. To what extent is it a breakthrough moment? I think it is a breakthrough moment because I'm the first, but it represents a steady increase that's been happening over over decades, really, of LGBT representation within within the different affiliates and also within the work, equality work of the TUC. And it's due to, there's a lot more LGBT plus people in leadership in the unions movement, but... But that's because LGBT activists in the unions have got involved and managed to push good positive equality policy and been seen as good, strong trade union colleagues uh, by their by their by their comrades and friends. So I think it's it is a breakthrough moment, but it's built on it's built on the work that's been going on in many affiliates for many for many years. So it's almost like it's a. it's an incremental progress pro- mm. process, and it's just that this increment is taking you through something of a, a glass ceiling. Yes, I think that's I mean, the way of putting it. Yes. I, do, I think it, it, you know it's really important not to undersell this because there will be young trade unionists who are members of those communities who think you know they may have encountered discriminatory behaviour from their employers, perhaps even from the, from their colleagues, and to say actually there are no limits to what. I can achieve in the labour movement is a, is a really really powerful yes. important message. Yes, I think that's exactly right, Simon. I hope that message is you know I hope I can contribute to that message over the part over the next year. And I think it's true for the LGBT community, but also for all the good work that's done by quality people in other other strands in the TUC. We've got the big anti racism task force and the the concentration of the movement on on that encourages BME, uh, black and uh, minority ethnic union people, and also the good work that's done, you know, in the women's organisation and and also in the disability TUC as well. So I hope, you know, I hope, I think, I would see myself as very much representing the LGBT community, but also, you know, the importance of equality work in the in the union movement and yeah. and, and recognizing that those values are are central. They're not they're not shoved off to one side, they're central to the movement. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely an integral core core part of, of our value set and, and what we do. Now you're also, as well as being president to UC and active in your branch, and <laughs> you're also vice chair of Chulo, the yes. Trade Union Labour Party yes. or, or, or organization. Now and this is I mean, I would say pose a question to you is is our unions inevitably political? And if they are, why is affiliation to the Labour Party important or relevant or appropriate? I do think that unions are inevitably political. When we represent our members in the workplace and in the wider industrial arena, it quickly becomes a political matter. And it's right for us as union people to do politics. I think it's we shouldn't apologise for that. That's a logical 
If we want to improve our members' lives in the wider sense, in the workplace and in the wider community, we have to get involved. I mean, it, issues of economic policy, issues of social policy have a direct effect in the workplace. I mean, look at legislation on um, employment rights and the way in which anti-union laws have been brought, brought in. That's a material effect uh, of legislation on what we can, can and can't do as union people. And you know, hopefully we will have a more progressive government and we can improve a progressive floor on employment rights and that will make a real difference to what we're doing as, as union members. And also, I think the wider issues of public ownership and making arguments for that within particular sectors, that's a political thing that has a direct effect on job security, on standards of pay and terms and conditions. And also wider welfare issues. Lots of there's lots of in work poverty. Lots of union members depend on on benefits and support. And so we've got something to say about that. These are all political matters that you can't ne negotiate directly with an employer, but they affect our members' lives. I agree with you that that unions are about fundamentally about redistribution. You could say yes, uh, yes. And you can't. You know, it, it, it it's not it's not an optional issue. We are involved in politics yes. in, in the widest sense because, for example. Uh, if union members go on strike, it impacts upon the country generally. That's the whole point. Yes, so, so, that's so true. you can't yeah. say that, that you can't say that that's not a political act because it's about the overall allocation of resources yeah. in any one in any one country. But yeah, you're about to go and talk yeah. about the link with the Labour Party, yes, which is I, a slightly different question. Really, it is a slightly different question. Although I think that gets to the bottom of it in many ways. I mean, let's 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 cut to the quick. I mean, working class voices and working class people are often excluded from how politics is presented in the in you know if it's presented as something at a particular level of I don't know I can't know how to explain it really it's often deliberately mystified politics to people and that makes people actually think oh politics isn't about my life but actually absolutely it is and uh, the fact that you've got the unions affiliated to the Labour Party allow the collective voice of millions of workers to be heard directly in the political arena is really key it should hopefully I believe it empowers um, local activists to get involved in their local Labour parties or, or in pl or wider political campaigns. And that experience of un union oriented people bringing that experience to the, the Labour Party and the wider community is really important for democracy. It, 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 it goes beyond just, and I want the Labour Party to win the next election, and I, I'm, I'm campaigning for it. But it's also about having a proper democracy in our country that listens to working working yeah. working class people's experiences i think also workers need a political party you know why was why was it's a, it's it's a story of history we all know 1906 the union set up the labor party that's not an accident that's because unions at the time felt they needed a political party they needed people in parliament to improve working people's lives i don't really think it's that different now i think it's just we are 120 years on or whatever but actually the same challenge is there for us it's important to have the industrial wing and the political wing of our movement and they they're both they're both necessary uh, and the connection between the two enhances our democracy I yeah say. i think i think it would be interesting wouldn't it if we could step into a time machine and go back to, yeah. to the first decade of the last the last century yeah. what debates were going on about about uh, about whether or not the union movement the nascent union movement need, needs yeah. a political voice i suspect i suspect we'd recognize a lot yes of the, we would a lot of the I think. lines that were being run, run yeah. then yeah and you know yes i think i think we would and also you know what you can achieve and what you can't achieve and yeah, the importance of a collective input and, and unions unions acknowledging 
that they they have to be involved in the political arena. I think that is the most important thing. And of course, it's not always an easy relationship because these oh, are two gosh, independent no. organisations. But it's a vital debate, and it's. it's yeah. I also think it's it's it, yeah, it's an unavoidable de- debate. Yeah. Necessary of course, the, debate. Yeah, necessary necessary de- debate. Because there's not going to be one view about exactly what needs to be done in every given circumstance. So there's about to be some to and fro and. Mm. Yeah, intro- well, I, I mean, call it the contentious alliance, don't they? Well, Lewis <laughs> Minkin did. I think. I think. I think that well, it's an alliance, though. Yeah, yeah that is and it. Uh, and a necessary one, and it and it you know enhances the trade union movement to to be focused on the political gains that we need for our members, but it also enhances the Labour Party to be rooted in in the experiences of of, of working people and yeah. their and their families and their communities. So, I mean, if we can look at the situation in your own union, the CW, ah, yes. CWU. Yeah, we're I mean, busy at the moment. Yeah, just yeah. I'd I noticed just, <laughs> just 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 a bit. I mean, protracted disputes with the employers yeah. of the vast majority of of, of this, the uni, the union's Absolutely. members. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, what do you think the recent past has revealed about the character and the capacity of the union in these kind of extraordinary times? Well, as you will know very well, Simon, the CW is is a union which takes its own grassroots democracy very seriously. We're built up from the branches. We elect our negotiating officers. And when it comes to something like this, when you've got 10, 11% inflation and you've got employers not will- willing to pay and you've got other, in the case of the postal side particularly, massive changes being proposed by the employer, I think our union leadership has responded to the views of the members who want, who want us to... Want us to achieve what we we should have de- decent pay, but also to fight back against anything that's um, against our interests. So I think what it shows is maybe it's a theme here: a union as democratic organisations from the bottom up, actually representing what what members want. It's never that easy. We still have negotiations, but actually, uh, the CW, as have other many other unions, responded to the members saying, you know, we don't want pay cuts. <laughs> pretty pretty basic really we don't want pay cuts uh and we want and with the with the cost of living crisis we want a union to stand up for what we need so that's how i I would see it you know i think as you say on the postal side we've got um, nearly one hundred twenty thousand members standing up we've got on the on the telecom side forty thousand members plus it's the vast majority of the union is is involved in some sort of action at the moment and it just reflects what's happening in our sectors and I think it's worth it's worth reminding listeners that the turnout in the ballots, the statutory ballots for industrial yes. action, and the majorities in favour of strike action were huge, absolutely well over, and like well over eighty percent, I think, yes. across the board. So, so in terms of your point, Maria, about the union's leadership is listening to what the members are saying. QED. Yep. Yeah. And I mean, you know, the the restrictive legislation on um, union balloting arrangements. Uh, are outrageous however in a sector such as ours where there is a union density you call in the action you're getting the vast majority of people voting for a start and then the va- and even more greater majority of them voting positively for t- taking action so i mean that is it's a sign yes it's uh it's do unions doing what they should do and expressing what their mem- what their members want i mean some of the anti-union laws and the way the bullet balancing is is very unfair in other parts especially in the public sector where there are more hurdles. Um, but that general idea, um, I think it puts a lie to what a lot of people who are anti-union say, that, you know, in some ways union leaders are just going out there and, um, you know, I don't know, freestyling or causing... That's, yeah, that's, yeah. In my experience, that, 
that's not what happens. That's never happened well, in common, my experience. It's a common misconception for yeah. people who, who aren't familiar yes. with unions and haven't taken the trouble to, to understand what they're about, that, that actually union barons yes. can just go, <laughs> yes. click yes. everyone out. And it, and it, you I'm know, sure it's, some uh, people <laughs> would like that, but that's not how it works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that real life is not like that. No, no, no that's right. No. Well, no. I mean, you know, well, I, you know, I mean, obviously, strength and solidarity to the CW and every yes. union that's in dispute Indeed. in these troubled times. Switching track a little, if, if, if we mm. may, you are, I understand, a practicing Catholic. And, I am, yes. And I just wondered what the interaction was between your faith and your union work and your, your, your campaigning work. Because, uh, because in some circumstances, organised religion can be quite um, constraining, shall we, shall we yes. say. And, uh, I mean, that applies not just to progressive politics, but also your, your, your own sexuality yes, as well. Yes, indeed, so, yes. So, yeah, I, I'm interested how... how I mean, if, if you don't mind me. No, I'm, no, I don't mind. I, no, I don't mind you asking. Um, well, I was brought up a Catholic and I I'm, and I'm, and I'm, continue to practice Catholic and it's important to me. I would very much identify as a progressive Catholic. And I think that people should recognise that within religious organisations, yes, they are central organisations. There's a variety of views. It's a very broad church, especially the Catholic Church, for example. Well, for sure. Right, yes. uh, and you have got people who are quite reactionary about about issues around equality, especially around issues around sexuality and gender identity. But also you have people who are quite reactionary politically as well, if you if you wish to. However, there are a hell of a lot of people, in my experience, maybe it's just the people I know, a, a bigger majority who actually share values that the union movement would recognise, social justice, a collective approach mm-hmm. to human life, if you like, and actually a responsibility for our neighbour, might be our work colleague or our neighbour. And that there, there is, to me, there's quite a big synchronicity. And certainly in my own experience of getting, when I was younger and becoming more political, it was informed by a lot of the values that I had picked up at church and um, and, and, and people I knew who were active. So um, in terms of the equality issues, yeah, there's there's been massive movement on those within, within all churches, actually, especially Christian churches. I mean, you've seen the latest thing from the Anglican Church, mm. and there are a lot more out um, LGBT Catholics. Um, there's a lot more out Christians and and people from other faiths as well. Absolutely. So that's been a big sea change in my lifetime. Yeah. Uh, mm. I am old. Um, you know, okay. but it is. It's, I mean, the last decade or two, I felt much more at home, thinking, oh, there's, it's not just me. There's loads of other people who think it's absolutely fine to be. Uh, into faith and religion, and to actually also be committed to equality and recognising yeah. that those voices need to be heard within within the wider faith community. But in terms of wider politics, I, I do think there's a big connection. I mean, it's not just Catholicism. I mean, there are massive traditions within the Methodist Church about social justice and within... There's a big Anglican um, social yeah. justice tradition yeah. as well. And then in other faiths, there's like... Social justice in Islam is really central, and of course in Judaism and Sikhism, and I could go on. There's a big multi-faith aspect to to I, it too. I mean, Catholics, yeah. we've got our Catholic social teaching, we've got the history of the church recognizing the importance of trade unions and the importance of of wider social movements, and also I think we've got a very particular tradition in Britain of recognizing. You know, the union movement owes a lot to immigration, often from places which were yeah, dominated yeah. by Catholicism. So that's a big, that's actually a cultural thing within British trade unionism, but it actually reflects a much wider thing in, in Europe and America and in lots of other parts of the world where faith and trade union values and wider sort of progressive political values do fit together. Yeah, it's always yeah, going to I mean, be contentious yeah. within religion, but there is a, you know, it's a big constituency. And I think, I think 
whatever the religious structures that exist in Catholicism or any other faith, the question of one individual's relationship with their faith mm. is just that. It's an individual relationship. And, and therefore, there is space underneath the, a multi-faith umbrella for all sorts of alliances and beliefs and, and preferences, including those that align with the Labour movement. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I think, I think you're right. It's an individual commitment to lead, lead your life in a way that's, you know, loving your neighbour, for example, in the, in the Christian tradition. And I said that reflected in probably in different formulations, but meaning the same thing in other religions. But there are some obvious, if you're a, someone growing up in that, you see some obvious connections then to the wider, the wider politics. Um, I mean, like in Catholicism, there's a big emphasis on the dignity of labour. You know, as I said, dealing with poverty and thinking that that's something that's about... Mm-hmm. The world here, <laughs> in the real world, as we live, you know, the value of, of 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 people's lives, and you know, you can't say that you're you're for faith without actually recognising that that's about your neighbour and that's about the people next to you and 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 the state of your society. And as you say, it's an individual thing. Often, faith can be an individual inspiration for various. And there are other people who are I know who are good trade unionists who are inspired by their faith. But there's also there is a recognition of that as part of the collective collective part of your faith mm-hmm. as well and that being mm-hmm. that is important so they're both they're both true yeah no, no I, I think it's very i mean there could be a whole podcast series about <laughs> yes. about the impact and its relationship between faith and being a trade unionist, yeah. being in the labor movement yeah. being this that and, and, and the other and i think it is I, on the one hand i think it is really really interesting but on the other hand i suspect it it all does boil down to the same thing which, which is each individual has a a specific relationship with their faith. Yes, yeah. um, and whether whether that's under a religious umbrella or under a humanist umbrella or whatever. Well, umbrella yes, it's, no, it's, it's, it's about it's belief under, as well. It's about belief, a wider belief yeah. that you can. Yes, I mean, uh, I mean, the TUC is a secular organisation. We live in a sec- well, we live in a semi secular society as well. I would say, but yeah, um, recognising other people's beliefs certainly. Uh, that's my view as a Catholic. I respect people of of all religions and none, and um, we can work together and and that. Yeah, it chips away at, as you say, something quite personal. What inspires people? What inspires people to be part of something to try to change society? Well, what sustains That's, people? Yeah, and what and what sustains? Yes, yeah. good point. Yeah. What sustains people? Yeah. And there are there are other um, trade union leaders who are practicing Catholics and of other religions as well. And it's something I think there's has been has not been recognised as much. And I'm hoping over the next year we can work together and and get that a bit more on on key issues of workers' rights, which you know most. Uh, faith group support and with issues around you know having a more just society i think and there's there's, there's potential for more work there i i, yeah. I think so around around notions of justice particularly yeah. i think actually yeah, yeah. moving from <laughs> moving from religion to 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 to, to, to very um, kind of gritty reality <laughs> as it were we of course we're recording this in the tuc a, a corporate yes. house and of course we're entering a handover phase now oh, we are as, yes as, Francis O'Grady hands over to Paul Novak and it's a kind of, you know, that's quite a, a shift. How has TUC changed since you were first involved and first on the General Council? Yeah, when I was first on the General Council, Brendan Barber was the General Secretary, of course. Yeah. Yes. yeah, yeah. And um, I think things have moved on. I think I, I think Francis's tenure has been focused a lot on trying to ensure that unions are organised effectively in the different sectors. I mean, she comes from an organising background, as does Paul. Yeah. So I think that's, um, I'm not saying that wasn't there before, but that, that emphasis on, this, uh, on on that being the core aspects of what we should do as unions, we have more reps, we should have more, more um, efficient organisation. 
and also I think the outward facing public arena, which has always been there for the trade union movement. Uh, but I think, if anything, because of the political changes over the last period, that um, there is a much more overt sort of public focus and maybe a more political focus in the wider sense of the word, small p, not focus on that being a necessary part of, of union union work as well. And also, Francis has in many ways led the way as the first woman general secretary, uh, recognising that, you know, equality's got to be integrated in everything that the union movement does. It's not just about being her being a woman. In fact, you know, under her tenure, we've had the anti-racism task force. I know that Paul is equally committed to all of that integrating equality in. But obviously it's been... As you say, sometimes the breakthrough moment is the one that you can then unleash things. And, yeah. you know, it's not just France as the first woman general secretary, it's also empowering other women leaders in the union movement as well. So and that's quite important. There's still, we live, in, we live in a society where some people do still have a problem with women leaders. <laughs> really? I, yes, I had, yes. I noticed. <laughs> yes. So, you know, that's, um, that's you know, it's, yeah. So that, that's been a change, I think. I found it interesting as well. Come, you always come from, you always get involved from your own union, don't you? Yes. And you know your own union, you know your area. And it's always been a, a big thing for me, being on the General Council, doing the equality work with people from other unions, fine. Yes, absolutely, and learn from that. But just hearing, being on the General Council, hearing the issues for people in different sectors, it, it, it enhances your idea, you know, your understanding of where your own, where the challenges for your own sector are. And that's always, it's, it's an enriching thing to recognise that, other union people in very different work areas than you are facing challenges that in some ways similar and in some ways can be more challenging, actually. So that's what I've learned by being on the General Council. Yeah. I, well, I think I, I think there are common experiences, albeit expressed in slightly different ways depending on the industrial setting, mm. that, that take takes place. But as a TUC watcher for <laughs> decades... <laughs> I think Francis's leadership has been transformational, not just because because it's broken the glass ceiling. We've, we've got a woman who's, who's general secretary, but because we've also got an organizer who's, who's, who's general secretary, and you, you've also got someone who is a phenomenally effective ambassador for, for the trade, yes. u- trade union mo- yes. movement. And in the depths of the adversity of the of the pandemic, for example, to see government turning and recognising that the TUC is a key stakeholder in the debate about what we should do is really important. And yes. I think, I, you know, I think, I hope and believe that we've been through like a one-way valve, as it were, mm. that, you know, that we're not going back. I don't think the tourists can put it back in their box. They'd love no, to, I don't think they can't. So. I, I, think, yeah. I think actually what's happened, I mean, this goes into a wider discussion about the impact of the pandemic, but I think, I, I think the mainstream has moved to the left. Yes. I think there is. I think there is a consensus about fairness and dignity at work, and the fact that executives shouldn't get 150 percent pay rises whilst whilst actually their workforces take a pay cut. I think that all that stuff is building into a, a new consensus that has got tremendous energy and traction behind it. Yeah, I, I would agree with that absolutely, and I think. Yeah, I think, uh, as you say, I think uh, France's transformative leadership's not just been about equality. It's also been about that focus on organising, that focus on the TUC's role in wider wider political world without as I said with the small p and that has been that has been that's she set the she set the bar now for yeah and I know that I know that Paul and when he his first address to the, the executive about his priorities stressed again the importance of organizing building a movement of you know getting more reps getting more extending the influence of the union movement um, in the workplace and beyond 
I know that's his priorities too. I'm sure you could talk to him about that sometime. <laughs> but um, yeah, I see that as a continuation. You know, I'm sure he'll do things yeah. his own style as well. But that's a continuation from some of the good work that yeah. has already been done by Francis, definitely. I feel much enlivened, and filled with optimism <laughs> from our discussion, Maria. Thank you so much for spending time, spending time with me to record record this podcast. One final question before we wrap up, um, oh. which is, which is, if you could meet your eighteen year old self, <laughs> what advice would you give? Oh well, what a question! What a question! Uh, I suppose I'd have to say, be confident. It's always important to be confident uh, and believe in yourself. But that's that's not like going into yourself. That's being confident enough maybe to reach out, to to be open to people with different backgrounds and experiences than you've had and learn from them and listen. That's the main thing. Listen and learn and uh, develop, you know, your own self, but also understand understand the much wider social context. I think, I suppose for me, it was... I would say there's more than one way to take forward the values of your own family and your own background. You know, there's more than one ways of doing justice to that and being open to others helps you, helps you grow as a person and helps you, if you're a political person and a trade union person, helps you be a better representative. So that's what I would, I would say, I suppose. Sound advice. <laughs> Maria Axel, TUC president. Thank you very much indeed. And thank you, Simon. <laughs> My thanks to Maria for a candid, comprehensive and reflective discussion. And if you're active in your union, especially a delegate to your union's conference, you may very well be seeing her at some point in her presidential year. You can, of course, find out more about the TUC and its campaigns at tuc.org.uk. The excellent strikemap.co.uk is a great resource if you want to see what industrial action is taking place where and by whom across the UK. That's strikemap.co.uk. And if you've a view on anything we've discussed in this episode, or perhaps the things we didn't discuss, we'd love to hear from you. You can email the show at unionjews at makesyouthink.com. There's a companion blog giving background and links over on the makesyouthink.com website, and you can tweet us at Jews Union. Union Jews is a proud member of the Labour Radio Podcast Network, and you can access over 100 union-themed shows through their portal at labourradionetwork.org. That's labourradionetwork, or one word, dot org. Finally, there's just time to plug Union Jews' sister show, Union Days. Tales from the Scrapbook of Union Stories. And many thanks for all the kind feedback from listeners so far for Union Days. You can find Union Days wherever you get your podcasts. Strength and solidarity to all those striking to defend their real terms pay and hard-won terms and conditions. It's tough out there, but as the old saying goes, it is better to light a candle than curse the darkness. Take good care. Let's look after each other. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you soon on the next Union Tubes. Bye for now.
The Union Jews podcast is presented by me, Simon Sapper. Music is by Scott Holmes. It is a Makes You Think production.